0: Hello, hello, hello. This is the Sense Party Podcast. This is your boy, Dwayne Otley. Uh, rate us, review us. We are on all platforms except uh, Apple. Give us a uh, listen. Give us five stars. Give us four stars. Give us three stars. Even give us two stars. Let us know how we're doing. Today is December 27th, the second day of Kwanzaa. Today we'll be talking about the midterm. Uh, who lied to get into Congress? How will they affect the STEM majority, and how you feel upwards? Let's go. Folks, today we are here to talk about all things political, so we are going to start with the midterms. The midterms are over, yes, it's about six months, we're back for season two about the midterms, and just to let you know, let's go ahead and talk about how, how election deniers actually... Almost one. It was close. They were prevalent in most states except one. Check it out.
1: Questions following the midterm elections was answered this weekend. Democrats retained control of the Senate with two victories out west. The House is still up in the air this morning. NBC's senior Washington correspondent Hallie Jackson joins us with the latest on that. And also the fate of election deniers who were running for key offices. Hallie, good
2: morning. Yeah, a lot there, Savannah. Good morning to you. Be two years ahead of a divided government in washington if republicans are able to hang on for a very slim majority in the house of representatives but we are learning more this morning about another slate of candidates election deniers and skeptics who question the results of the 2020 election defeated in key battleground states where their support of election fraud lies could have undermined 2024. A victory lap this morning for Democrats who will hang on to their Senate majority for the next two years.
3: We had great candidates. They had flawed candidates.
2: The clincher, the race in Nevada with vulnerable incumbent Democrat Senator Catherine Cortez Masto narrowly defeating Republican Adam Laxalt. Her win means Democrats will keep control of the 50-50 Senate. But both parties are still laser-focused on the Georgia Senate runoff next month. Republicans, with hopes of a red wave long gone, may barely eke out a razor-thin majority now in the House. What's also clear from the midterm elections? Voters rejecting so-called election deniers who question the results of the legitimate 2020 presidential election. That extends even to races for secretaries of state who oversee voting. In battleground state races, every Secretary of State nominee who denied or cast doubt on the election lost. And many Republicans running for governor, who refused to say whether they would have certified President Biden's win, also defeated, although Arizona's race between Kerry Lake and Katie Hobbs still a question mark. Former President Trump, who planted the seed of election denialism and who's still pushing election fraud lies, widely expected now to announce another run for office this week, leaving his party divided, especially as former Vice President Mike Pence is now drawing more attention to Mr. Trump's actions in the aftermath of the last election and during January 6th, speaking to ABC News about that day.
4: 2.24 p.m., the president tweets, Mike Pence didn't have the courage to do what should have been done. It
2: angered me. Well, now the spotlight is turning to Florida ahead of what is widely expected to be an announcement by former President Trump that he will make another run for the White House. Before we begin, right? Now, again, Mr. Trump planted he, he, the origins of election denialism came from him in 2020, and given the poor performance of those election-denying candidates this month... It, it would not seem like a winning message for him tomorrow night. You have some Republicans concerned about that. going even further, some of them, and suggesting it is time for Mr. Trump to step aside and make room for new faces in 2024.
1: Savannah? Well, we'll see what his message is this time. Holly, thank you very much. Hey.
0: Yep, that was the synopsis of the midterm elections where, yep, it was close where most of them most um election deniers did lose, but Republicans did make it close. They outvoted like on a total total amount, they out voted Democrats and independents. So the crazy thing is that That it's still close where they would have won if people didn't show up to vote. That was the crazy thing about it. It was closer than people think. And hopefully we will get a little bit more control in 2024. The crazy thing about it is you'll never know what happens if no one shows up to vote, the scary part is Republicans are going to take control of the House now. It's going to be a divided government, so we got to get everything together to get it wrapped around so we can do this thing. And moving forward, let's get our country back. Let's use common sense. Okay, uh, moving on to, well, spoiler alert. The race in Arizona went to the Democrat, and the race in Georgia went to Reverend Warnock. Let's take a listen.
1: Right there in Georgia, it took an extra month, but the 2022 midterm elections have officially come to a close. ABC News projects that Democratic Senator Raphael Warnock has won his first full six-year term, beating GOP challenger Herschel Walker in the high-profile runoff. Georgia reporting record high early, or Georgia reported high record turnout for voters as Democrats fought that critical 51st senate seat and republicans pushed to keep the chamber split at 50 50 after neither candidate earned the required majority of votes back in november well for more let's bring in abc news white house correspondent mary Alice parks along with jay o'brien who's live up there on capitol hill jay let's start with you senator warnock had the largest margin of victory for a georgia democrat in decades let's talk about what this means for democrats now moving forward
5: Well, and Chuck Schumer said it this morning at a press conference that Warnock has now run a one four times in two years. Um, in a state that has been consistently considered a red state, a Republican state, now considered by some obviously a swing state. So Schumer taking a victory lap on that. So in the broader sense, it means that Democrats feel competitive in Georgia in a state that they haven't felt competitive in the past. But in specifics, when it comes to the United States Senate, a 51-seat majority means for Democrats that they can confirm judges at a quicker speed than they previously were able to in that 50-50 Senate. It also means that Chuck Schumer doesn't have to wrangle every Every single Democratic Senator to vote on pieces of legislation and clash at times as he did previously with Senator Joe Manchin of West Virginia, a frequent Democratic holdout vote. He's got that 51 seat majority now, and it gives Democrats in the Senate a little extra breathing room, as well as obviously a boon based on those results, as you said, Kira.
1: So, Mary Alice, then President Biden called Senator Warnock to congratulate him last night, and with good reason. I mean, the 51 seat Senate majority will no doubt
6: impact his agenda. Yeah, Kira, the White House just released a little bit of that phone call, and you heard uh, Senator Warnock say, this is going to make it easier to get things done, sir. And the president said, absolutely. He thinks that it will. Uh, To pick up on Jay's point, we've heard the president over the last two years so frustrated at those moments where someone like Senator Manchin was able to get in the way and block legislation with a single vote. Uh, And so this sort of bypasses that. You get sort of some of that roadblocks. um, It makes sure that Democrats, like Jay said, have a little bit of breathing room. And there's another really important piece of this. Uh, Democrats. Democrats will now have potentially much more subpoena power in committees. In a 50-50 Senate, they have to agree on everything in committees. That's what makes it hard to like move judges forward, uh, judicial nominations forward, like Jay was talking about. But also, it can make it hard uh, to issue subpoenas and do some of that investigative work. And now, when Democrats will have a clear 51-vote majority, they will be able to move more of their investigations forward, should they choose in those Senate committees, too. Kira. And
1: Jay, today, Democratic Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer quoted what he said were remarks from Republican Senator Lindsey Graham about the runoff results. Let's take a quick listen.
7: He said, quote, Democrats have done a pretty good job of picking issues that motivate their base and have wider support among the public. We, the Republicans, need to be doing the same thing. I think a lot of people in the Republican Party don't see us doing it emphatically as the Democrats. One of the few times I'll quote <laughs> Lindsey Graham with approval, but he said it.
1: <laughs> All right, well, Jay, if, if true, that's a pretty steady admission from Senator Graham.
5: Yeah, and that is a direct quote that Schumer was reading this morning. He read it this morning uh, in a publication. Uh, The question becomes, who's he referring to there? Is he referring to Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell, who Lindsey Graham has recently clashed with? He didn't vote for Majority Leader for McConnell. Or is he referring to former President Trump? I can tell you that there is blame in some Senate Republicans on Trump for this loss in Georgia. The phrase candidate quality, you hear it so much. But there are other Republicans who are still sticking... Trump. Graham was sticking by Trump just as as recently as Tuesday when I ran into him in the Senate hallway, and he said he would support Trump, and he didn't think that Trump's comments, for instance, on the termination of parts of the Constitution, were disqualifying. So the question facing Senate Republicans now, coming off of this loss in Georgia, is how much do they stick with former President Trump going into this new Congress when there are going to be a number of Trump issues that they're going to be confronted with every single day, Karen?
1: And finally, Mary Alice, Democrats, you know, may have a stronger majority in the Senate, but they still lost the House. So how is the president planning to work with the new Republican majority when it takes over in just a few
6: weeks? We've heard President Biden say over and over that he is looking forward to working with Republicans, that he's trying to uh, make overtures to Republican leadership. You know, I was struck just in the days right after the election how often the president talked about wanting to get around the negotiating table and do bipartisan work. We saw just last week when he invited Republican leaders over to the White House to discuss the rail strike, the potential rail strike. Uh, So I think this is a president that feels comfortable in that space, who wants to find common ground. I think the big question is, is that reciprocated? Do Republicans want to find common ground with this president? Are they going to start off in the new year uh, with tough investigations of his administration or even uh, more personal investigations of his family? And will that kind of muddy the waters and make any kind of bipartisan legislation much harder all right Mary Alice Jay thank you both so much
0: yep that was the summings of the runoff election and they have touched on two topics that we want to talk about but I worked the election early voting in the actual day in Georgia and the crazy thing about it is they Lindsey Graham is correct I could believe that how many people voted for Herschel Walker. Um, I didn't understand it. I really didn't. I really, really didn't understand why someone is so inept as Herschel Walker got that many votes. But that's um, that's blind voting. I don't understand it. I can't understand getting behind voting for someone just because they're underqualified and they just fit a fit a, a shirt a color a red a blue I'm an independent and I always said I would always I will vote for anyone who gives us a chance to move forward. I live in Georgia and I don't understand why people didn't vote for Stacey Abrams because Stacey Abrams came with a plan, came with a plan to improve Georgia from where it is right now and people didn't vote for because Kevin, whatever his name is, said she was bad, but she's not. I challenge everyone who's listening to this podcast look up Stacy a- Abrams and look up what her plan is for when she was if she was a governor I think she should run again and I think she will win she should win again because the state is turning purple not fully blue but purple a lot of people are moving to Georgia from all over uh, and then a lot of the kids are more apt to not Follow their parents and do their due diligence and vote for the person that helps everyone, not just them. All right, moving on to Kevin McCarthy. Kevin McCarthy is trying to be Speaker of the House and with the majority of I think seven or eight votes. And he he might win, but he's not gonna be a good speaker. Check it out.
8: Here are some of the worst parts of the omnibus. First, to state the obvious, the omnibus spends too much, increasing the deficit and fueling even more inflation. Now, the Democrats have been fired. They had four years. Let's just look at recent history. When Republicans had the majority in the House for eight years, and you look at discretionary spending, from the day we got the gavel to today, we had to hand it back. You know how much it increased? Zero. Zero. You've had it for four years before you got fired again. You know how much you increased? Discretionary spending, one third, over four hundred and forty billion dollars. You want to know why we have inflation, the highest it's been in forty-one years? You won the majority and you wasted it, and you spent too much, and you harmed the American public. The worst thing any government could do to its public is bring inflation, and that's exactly what you're continuing. This bill increases the baseline spending by $134 billion. Let me put it another way. The American hardworking taxpayer, you just added 1.5 trillion over 10 years to the national debt when we're already drowning in $31 trillion in debt. I don't remember the people requesting that, but in your definition, that's what you did. And what kind of projects are such high priorities? Do we have to increase spending by so much? Well, some left-wing pet projects. Let's look for an example of what the people really requested here. For example, there's $2.35 million for the Leahy Center in Vermont, named after Senator Patrick Leahy. Well, who requested it? Well, Patrick Leahy did. Who wrote the bill? Patrick Leahy. Meanwhile, Chairwoman Deloria bragged that the Omnibus fulfills 98% of the Democratic members' requests in the House. That's $5.4 billion for 3,213 democratic projects. Mr. Speaker, I'm not quite sure your definition of people, I guess it's those members that you're really looking after. That would be politics. Our economy is already in a dire condition and passing this omnibus only supercharges that disaster. You know what? Inflation is higher today than it was 11 months ago When President Biden said it had peaked, families are paying four hundred more per month than they did a year ago. Why? Because you put them before your politics, as you say. They just didn't know that they really wanted to pay more.
0: Okay, let's put that into perspective because This is the monstrosity. He's not really telling the whole truth and nothing but the truth, because inflation is on the way down. Yes, it's up. But it's less than what it was before, and and another thing, in this bill, because you're gonna hear from the next clip, Republicans gonna take credit for voting against this bill, but they're gonna go back to constituents and say, yeah, they took the credit for it. Check this out.
8: Monstrosity! It is one of the most shameful acts I've ever seen in this body. The appropriations. Process has failed the American public and there's no greater example of the nail in the coffin of the greatest failure of a one party rule of the house, the senate and the presidency of this bill here you controlled it all Mr. Speaker I just heard him brag about how great the rules committee is they're so great because they care about the people they care so much about the people they never did their work The Democrats and Biden's open border policy has caused the worst border crisis in American history. You could try to ignore it, but 11 more days, since you won't show up for work here, you no longer will have that opportunity. And we're going to take our work to the border. We're going to have our hearings on the border. All you'll have to do is open your eyes, and you'll see what you created, and you'll see what you the disaster that has become of your legacy. And oh, probably the sacred of all the Democrats' power before they were fired was the wokeism. Buried in the omnibus is even more money for wokeism in the government and the military. The woke left wants to further divide Americans against each other based upon race, sex, and background. They want to teach our kids that America is inherently bad that you should distrust and hate your fellow americans instead of strive to be a more perfect union The new direction is coming 11 days republicans will deliver i request a no vote on the omnibus and i yield back the gentleman from massachusetts is recognized um after listening to that
9: is clear he doesn't have the votes yet i reserve my time
10: This is Democrat Jim McGovern showing that it doesn't take a whole lot of words to very definitively shut Kevin McCarthy down. Here we see Kevin McCarthy descend into a living, breathing Fox News comment section decrying wokeism and whipping up border hysteria and whining about the military. And the reason why is clear. As McGovern said, McCarthy is running for speaker and he doesn't have the votes. He needs the support of 218 out of 222 members in his conference. And a number of Republicans have already come out against him for purportedly not being conservative enough. And so what's the result of that? This speech right here, where McCarthy performs his little circus act to try and curry favor with the other clowns. Tell you what, if nothing else, at least Kevin McCarthy is showing that it is possible to defy the laws of physics and stand upright with no spine. I mean, my God, the guy is whining about wokeness in the military? Is that what the GOP stands for now? That's the best they can do, trashing the American military? It really is amazing to watch a guy who very likely has the softest hands in Congress go off about how our military isn't tough enough. Not that he needs a reminder, but there is nothing stopping Kevin McCarthy or any of those other keyboard warriors on the right who complain about the military from going and enlisting themselves because nothing would toughen up our military quite like Kevin McCarthy on the front lines. Now, the point of all of this is trying to oppose the omnibus spending bill, the bill that funds the government through fiscal year, twenty twenty three, along with allocating funding for Ukraine and overhauling the Electoral Count Act. Except Republicans don't feel that Democrats are entitled to pass anything. Even though they have a majority in congress because even when republicans don't have power they somehow feel entitled to all of the power and because again mccarthy is right now vying for the support of a group of republicans who want this omnibus spending bill to get tanked then mccarthy himself is pandering to that group by also trying to tank the omnibus spending bill and if you needed any indication as to how mccarthy would lead This should explain everything. The guy will cave to the farthest fringes of his base, who's currently got him on the shortest leash possible. McCarthy isn't a leader, he is a puppet. And there is no one in the GOP who doesn't know how to pull the strings to get what they want from him. And by the way, that wasn't lost on anyone. Here's Jim McGovern again lambasting the tactics employed by the lunatic fringe of the House GOP to threaten even their own party's colleagues in the Senate by promising to kill any legislation introduced by those Republicans who dare support the omnibus bill.
9: Games like the one House Republicans are playing by using this bill as a political wedge to threaten their counterparts in the Senate is equal parts dangerous and destructive. As Republican Senator Kevin Kramer said, and I quote, the reality is that is this kind of chest thumping and immaturity doesn't instill confidence in their ability to lead, end quote. You know, you hear it all the time. Don't let the perfect be the enemy of the good. I'll be, one of, I'll be one of the first to say that this bill isn't perfect. It doesn't address everything I wanted, nor does it address everything in the way I wanted. But it's a good bill. It was put together through hours of hard-fought negotiations that involved members in both chambers from both sides of the aisle. It's not anyone's fault but their own that House Republicans chose to walk away from the negotiating table. At the end of the day, we are here to legislate to get stuff done. We are here to help the American people, and that requires us to keep the lights on. The last time Republicans held the majority in the House, they left us in a prolonged government shutdown that cost our country and taxpayers over $11 billion. I can promise you the Democrats have no plan of letting that happen under our watch. We must pass this rule and the underlying bill and get it to the president's desk.
10: But here's the ultimate irony about the omnibus bill that both Kevin McCarthy and a number of Republicans are trying to sink. Within that bill are a number of priorities inserted by Republicans, a point made clear by McGovern.
9: For the record, uh, a minority leader came to the floor and was criticizing community projects. Maybe he doesn't know this, but let me inform him that over 100 of his members on the Republican side requested and received uh, community projects, all of which I'm happy to say were vetted. But maybe, but, maybe, but maybe he is suggesting that they should all give them back uh, because I know they're going to vote no on this bill and they go home and do a press release and do a press conference. But uh, he ought to understand that, um, you know, there's that saying, physician, heal thyself. I mean, the bottom line is mem- over 100 members on that side uh, requested community projects that were fully vetted. We're not questioning whether they're, whether they're good or not their communities respected requested them They good community support but i mean that's that's on your side
10: and this is a recurring theme even going back to the infrastructure bill republicans will vote no and then immediately go back to their own districts and do all the ribbon cuttings and take all the applause for a bill that they voted against these people are banking on their own supporters being too dumb to know that they tried to sink the very priorities that they then expected praise for passing That's the point of exposing these people, that hopefully even those Republican voters will recognize that their leaders are doing their best to screw over the very people they're supposed to be helping, all in the name of allegiance to party over country. Now, since this desperate Hail Mary by Kevin McCarthy, the House did pass the omnibus bill by a vote of 225 to 201, with a number of Republicans in the House defecting just like their Senate colleagues did and voting in favor of this bill. And while this is the first loss by an impotent Kevin McCarthy, it's pretty clear that it won't be the last.
0: That was Brian Taylor Cohen giving us an explanation of how inept the Republican Party and under Kevin McCarthy's leadership they will be. Yes, as I said, they vote against against the bill, but they go back to the constituency and and they take credit for it. That's the one thing I don't understand. Uh, Democrats have never said they're open borders, ever, ever. That's just crazy. To to see them tell fo- both face, both face lie that they would. would say that and it happens every time. every every cycle they go through that where they vote against it, things that will help their constituents and then take the credit for it. and I don't understand why the Republicans don't hold them accountable for eight years. Eight years, they had the Senate, the House, and they put us into a government shutdown, like what he said. We all lived through that, but hey, it is what it is. Okay, moving on. Uh, we're going to go to Christian Cinema, Becoming an Independent. Check it out.
11: Arizona Senator Kirsten Sinema has announced she is leaving the Democratic Party and registering as an independent. The move follows a rare moment of bipartisanship in both the House and Senate, as a group of Republicans joined all Democrats to pass a bill protecting same-sex and interracial marriages. ABC's Jay O'Brien joins me live now from Capitol Hill for more on this. Jay, let's start with the surprise announcement by Senator Sinema. She's changing from Democrat to independent. The Senate only held a majority by one vote for next year. What does that mean for the balance of power in the Senate?
5: Well, Diane, it takes the wind out of Senate Democrats' sails. Think back to Wednesday. It seems like ages ago. But right after Raphael Warnock won in the Georgia runoff, Chuck Schumer comes out, holds this triumphant press conference. He holds up the numbers 5-1 with his hand, saying the Democrats have a 51-seat majority in the Senate. And he's in a celebratory mood. Now, obviously, the mood on Capitol Hill among Senate Democrats has changed slightly following this announcement. Democrats in the Senate still have, in effect, their majority majority because they still keep the balance of power they still keep the majority because the vice president can break some ties in the senate and also democrats have the majority on committees because cinema is going to keep her committee assignments however in passing big legislation that 51 seat majority gave democrats A little bit of extra breathing room that kirsten cinema has now somewhat taken away because she and joe manchin were frequently those democratic holdout votes on big pieces of legislation democrats could afford to lose one of them with a 51 seat majority but hurt changing to independent changes that calculus a little bit the other thing that it does is it faces kirsten cinema with the question of who is she going to caucus with on capitol hill who are you going to caucus with is the political way of saying in essence who are you going to hang out with she said she's not going to caucus with senate republicans but when asked if she was going to caucus with senate democrats she was non-committal on that question she didn't really attend caucus meetings previously but still Who is she going to, in essence, hang out with on Capitol Hill, join with on big pieces of legislation, is a question that right now only Kirsten Sinema knows the answer to.
11: Now, 39 Republicans joined Democrats to vote in favor of this landmark Respect for Marriage Act. But eight of these House Republicans first voted yes in July and then voted no yesterday. What do you make of that?
5: Well, that was a surprising development yesterday that some republicans were choosing not to support the legislation that they supported in july and a lot of it stems according to at least some of these house republicans as to what happened in the senate so if you recall when this passed in the senate there had to be additional language to get the 60 votes that you need to pass some kinds of legislation in the senate it has to be bipartisan so republicans worked to add religious liberty exemptions into the legislation and house republicans yesterday said that they didn't feel those religious liberty exemptions went far enough that said Those exemptions were not in the bill when they voted on it in July, and they only chose to vote against it when they were added subsequently. Nonetheless, as you said, it was a bipartisan piece of legislation passing in the House yesterday. We were on the air with you when it passed yesterday, and you could hear those cheers, particularly from House Democrats, when it passed in the chamber yesterday. It was celebrated by Democratic leaders, including Nancy Pelosi, who said she really wanted to push this legislation over the goal line in her last few weeks as Speaker. Diane. All right,
11: Jay O'Brien, thank you
0: she she became an independent because nobody in Arizona likes her. She only did that because she's, what, polling badly in Arizona, and she's trying to split the ticket where she forced the Democrats to... Either choose between her as an independent or Democratic. Uh, I think a Democratic uh, House member is running for Senate in 2024. So it's going to be a three-party race. She's going to be independent and a Republican. But she's still going to lose. I think she's going to lose real badly. But let's have some more insight about it.
12: Joined now by my panel, Ian Caldwell, Washington Post Live editor, Daily 202 co-author, former Democratic senator from North Dakota, Heidi Camp, former Republican National Committee Chair Michael Steele, and political punter pu- uh, reporter and Sunday Square off host of NBC's Phoenix affiliate Bram Resnick. Bram, glad you were vacationing here in, in, in Washington <laughs> today. Right? So, I it this is a big year. For yeah, a time for you knew that. Yeah, in uh, December, Bram, you're, you have been the center of the of the domestic political universe 2018, 2020, and now uh, or twenty twenty two, and now here we go again twenty twenty four. Um, is this a smart move or not by Kirsten Sinema? This
4: was an inevitable move. She's been going in this direction for at least the last decade, really, I believe, since she won her seat in Congress in 2012. Mm-hmm. You know, and it's been the chatter in Phoenix that she would do this at some point. Uh, we thought back in 2018, after she won the Senate, she, she, she would immediately declare mm-hmm. that she was an independent. She didn't, but here we are today. And so when I saw the news, I thought, okay, yeah. Yeah, it's it's finally happening, and someone that was Hill described this as a, as a divorce. Is they've it been, a full-fledged divorce? They've been living in separate separate homes yeah. for a <laughs> long, yeah. long time. Okay, <laughs> separate beds, whatever you want to yeah. call it. Uh, she has no relationship with the party. The party today, their statement was basically, "Don't let the door hit you on
12: the way out." Right. That was the Arizona
4: Democratic right. Party. So is today a great
12: day for the Arizona Republican Party for twenty
13: twenty-four?
4: Not yet. They have a lot of problems of their own. We are still not clear of the 2022 election. There still may be court cases, a contest of the gubernatorial race. That party is still in the thrall of Donald Trump mm-hmm. and will likely remain that way. Look at our legislature, it is very Trumpy. And so they're not past that yet. The Republican Party will name their new chair in the state. Uh, come January, that's a big vote that will tell us a lot about where this party is going.
12: How you, I Heidi, you actually didn't serve with her. You guys crossed paths, right? You were, that's you were, right. uh, you lost an eighteen, she won an eighteen, uh, but you certainly are friendly with a lot of the Senate. You know, what is her reputation internally?
14: Actually, it's pretty good, mm-hmm. Chuck. That she can get a deal done. Mm-hmm. You know, you talk to people who have watched the deals that were made over the last two years. She's been in the center of all of them. And anyone who thought that she was a rubber stamp for the caucus is wrong. But what's interesting is the statements coming out of Democratic senators, out of Chuck Schumer, have really been embracing her. Because when she left, she did not take away her vote from the committee structure. And so these committees will be majority Democratic committees. She waited until after the runoff,
12: by the way. I mean, she did have some deference in the party. I,
14: I think this doesn't change anything that happens in Washington. Where this matters is in Arizona. She's less popular than either Biden or Trump in Arizona in every category. What she's got to figure out is, are there enough moderate Democrats and McCain Republicans to form a coalition that will return her to the United States Senate? And I think I think, if I'm her and you're looking at the numbers and you're looking at a very nasty uh, primary race which i think she would have i think she stepped out of that and dared the democrats yeah. to put someone up against her to and, keep that seat and
1: not just put someone up against her. It's now the democratic party chuck schumer has a choice to make yeah. is the DSEC going to support her or are they going to support the democratic nominee by the way in, in the primary?
12: same cycle that they have angus king
1: mm-hmm.
12: running for re-election who does not run as a democrat Right. who they help make sure the field gets cleared for all the time mm-hmm. in May right yeah,
1: yeah absolutely and there's no clarity on that yet mm-hmm. i mean Kirsten cinema a lot of when people make this decision they have to think about the fundraising are they going to be a viable candidate at not part of a political yeah. party apparatus Kirsten Cinema is a phenomenal fundraiser. She likes to fundraise. Everyone knows that she likes to talk to donors. Um, but the question is, is is that she still gonna have that national party to help her well, in the long run if she needs it and let's
14: we'll right, see what checking Right now saying. fundraising is about small dollar donors. Yeah. And she just now has abandoned small do- dollar donors across, and so she got to find enough money within the financial right. institutions yes. to fund the
12: Michael Steele, you're you're a guy who's who's in a part of the Republican Party that the base doesn't like all the time. You're right. And I, I could <laughs> envision, so you know, <laughs> you ran for the Senate. Had you been in the Senate in this Republican Party, I could picture you feeling as if you may have had felt no choice but to abandon your party, stick as an independent. Like if you're in the center of your party
15: this i get this is attempting i you know, i get i get where she where she where she's coming from and, and how she got to where she is over the last 10 years to your point she couldn't figure out how to become a, a mccain republican
12: or a mccain right. democrat or right. M- right. mccain
15: yeah. democrat yeah. but also a mccain republican yeah. meaning to make that move wholesale into the republican party as she looked and saw the maga wings begin to unfurl that where does she go mm-hmm. where does she fit into that So now, uh, to both your points, her strategy's gotta be, how do I make this work, this independent posture work? She's got some examples, King, she's got, uh, what we just saw. Evan McMullin. Evan We yeah. saw, what we saw in Alaska, mm-hmm. uh, quite frankly. Even, even you know.
12: Krakowski's uh, basically barely, she didn't win with Republicans. Right, though. she didn't win yeah. with
15: Republicans. Yeah. And, and, she
11: and, had the support of the party behind her. But
15: though. she was she the her, her, four but, her, no, but that's this election. <laughs> the one before, yeah. was, she was on her own. So right. there are legs there.
0: Correct. Yep. She did that so she can split the vote. I hope she does not win because she's horrible. She she has been a roadblock for all the good things that we need because she's in the pockets of corporate donors. and She's in the pocket of the corporations. She doesn't like minimum wage. She doesn't like stuff for the people. So, good riddance. Even though I'm an independent, I'll never vote for her, but... She needs to get out, her and Mansion, Mansion needs to get on the bandwagon because fossil fuel is going away. And when that happens and they win a majority in the Senate and they win back the House, it'll be good. All right, moving on to the January 6th committee. They released their findings and check it out
15: released its final report, placing the blame squarely on the shoulders of the former President Donald Trump, calling him the one man who caused the January 6th Capitol riots and recommends barring him from holding office again. This is an expansive report, it is huge, it is 845 pages and it summarizes a year and a half long investigation by the committee, which conducted over a 1,000 interviews. In a newly released transcript for the former Trump White House aide, Cassidy Hutchinson tells the committee that she felt pressure from Trump allies not to talk and instead risk contempt charges. She testified that before her interview with the committee, she told her mom, I am completely indebted to these people. They will ruin my life if I do anything they don't want me to do. Cassidy also testified that in her initial depositions before the committee, when she had a uh, Trump-aligned lawyer Stefan Pasentino, beside her, she said this, and I quote, It wasn't just that I had Stefan sitting next to me. It was almost like I felt like I had Trump looking over my shoulder because I knew in some fashion it would get back to him if I said anything that he would find disloyal. And the prospect of that genuinely scared me. You know, I'd seen this world ruin people's lives or try to ruin people's careers. I'd seen how vicious they can be. vasantino said in a statement that he believed Hutchinson was being truthful and cooperative with the committee in the interviews he represented for her or her for, I should say. So joining me now to discuss senior political analyst and senior political correspondent at The New York Times, Maggie Haberman. Maggie, thank you uh, very much for joining us. I appreciate it. Listen, we're going to get to this full report. Good morning to you, by the way, this full report. But I just want to get to what we learned about Cassidy Hutchinson, um, where she talks about her strange relationship with her father. She went to him to ask him for help, feeling like uh, Trump World was watching her. It is stunning. She. I just want to read something about what she said, because I think it just shows you. She said her, her dad was a Trump supporter, and they had a strange relationship. She said, um, uh, Let's see, Um, my biological father, uh, but I went to his place, I didn't have a relationship with my biological father, but I went over to his place one night. I drove up to New Jersey, and I went to his house one night and begged him. It's probably one thing I regret in all of this. I wish I didn't stoop to that level because it was a no, but I begged him to help me. I said, would you, (laughs) I said, I would pay him back. Like, name your interest rate. Like, I just need help. And I remember saying to him, you have no idea. What they're going to do to me? Terrifying. Terrifying.
16: She sounds incredibly scared in this transcript, and she lays out a culture of Trump land that we have heard many, many other former aides talk about over years. Michael Cohen, uh, you know Stephanie Grisham. You can go down the list. The list. The list Alyssa Farah, uh, and she was clearly worried about what would happen to her, not just in terms of Trump land. But she had no money. She had no lawyer. She had no anything. And Mark Meadows was not responding to her. Mark Meadows, who had been her boss for two years. So you can see how she ended up with Stefan Passantino. And, you know, yes, you just played the statement from Stefan Passantino. What she alleges in this under oath transcript is that Stefan Passantino was not just representing her, but that he was trying to shape her testimony. And that is very, very serious and very specific, and is something that, you know, the committee has said the DOJ is looking at it. Uh, I suspect we'll be hearing more about this in the coming months. Can you give us a sense of, with these 845 pages, I know you went through them because you had a report out at 2 in the morning, so you haven't slept, um, but what did what stood out to you? What Because you've been reporting on Trump World for so long. What stood out to you from this report? Were, th- were there new things that we hadn't seen, for example, during the committee? There actually was a lot of, of new meat on the bone. The, the overarching story remains the same, which is that the committee finds him unfit to serve, shows that he was not, you know, and they stress this over and over again, he was an active participant in this. He wasn't some person who was being beset by bad advice, which is something that a lot of his allies have tried suggesting, but that he was actually the center of the wheel on, on all of this. So, you know, that's, that's the main takeaway. There's new information about how frustrated the National Guard was waiting to be deployed. It was really, really striking to read. There's new details about specifically what, mo- at which moments during the 187 minutes Trump knew certain things. So when exactly he realized a riot was in place, it was pretty soon after he got back to the Capitol. At some point in the 2 o'clock hour, late in that hour, there's a note put on his desk saying that Ashley Babbitt has been shot. So it's not as if he was just, again, this passive observer. And then there's new information about about his aides over and over again. It's important to remember these are his own advisors painting this picture of him not caring, him ignoring things. Him, another important detail I thought was him acknowledging to aides that what Sidney Powell was saying about, you know, voting machines and Hugo Chavez hacking them in some big plot sounded crazy. That feeds into the point that several people testified to, which was that he knew some of this was not true he and, yet he he, and yet he continued correct and yet he continued pushing this.
15: Well so listen, that obviously shocking, but even more shocking, the fake electors plot that is mentioned okay. in this as well, mm-hmm. which could be I think if there's any sort of liability, perhaps criminally or legally, it would be for this fake electors plot.
16: I think that's that's one element. We know that the committee recommended other charges, one of which is insurrection. There were a couple of others. I think on the fake electors plot, it's not just Donald Trump who has potential exposure. There are a lot of people who have exposure over and over again because it's very clear that they knew they were doing something that was legally questionable. I think they will argue, no, 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 we thought it was real, but you can see in their communications that there are things that they were doing that they knew were problematic, and this plan began really early. That's one of the other things that the report documents, this didn't just spring up, you know, in mid-December. This was, this was going on for weeks. The report sites reporting I did uh, very shortly after the election where Trump was asking uh, advisors, I think it was November 11th or 12th, about how to get states to choose electors who were loyal to him. This started very early. I do do want to ask you um, about some of the recommendation. It also sort of talks about others surrounding Donald Trump's, people that did not come in when they were subpoenaed. Do you think there's any teeth uh, that this will provide teeth to another agency, obviously the DOJ, um, going forward to go after anyone else? But we know the DOJ wanted these transcripts, and they didn't have them for a long time. Right. They're going to have them all now. I think they've looked at a bunch of them already, because I know some folks have been going over to uh, to DOJ to uh, to, to review, uh, or at least been going over to the House to review, excuse me. So I think that it does give them more evidence, especially for people who then wouldn't cooperate with right. other aspects of the investigation. But how far along this is going to go, I don't think we know. I, I do want to just make one point that I think it's overlooked, and this is not related to the report other than that it's it's adjacent to it. You know, there's a lot of focus on will Donald Trump get indicted. Right. Even if Donald Trump doesn't get indicted, he is facing this huge flurry of litigation this year. He is facing trials in a number of cases. So this is going to be something, he is, he is facing a tough legal year, no matter what happens here. Georgia, New York, I mean the states and the federal. A, a, a fraud lawsuit related to ACN. Uh, two suits related to Eugene Jean Carroll, um, you know, the list goes on.
15: So, what about Passatino, just quickly, because if, if what's alleged in this report, Cassidy Hutchinson, um, he could be disbarred for that.
16: Oh, at, at, at least. I mean, he, he is facing severe legal jeopardy, and I don't know what ends up happening uh, with this. We'll see what the DOJ does. Uh, it is on the DOJ's radar. Uh, I think they are taking it seriously. I don't know how... Uh, aggressively, they're taking it, but these are serious allegations, and he has a real problem. It takes a lot to be disbarred. It'll be really interesting to see that. And we happens. and we've seen that with Giuliani too, gotcha. right? Except this is a very this is this is a different type right. of allegation. All right. Thank you, Maggie. Merry Thank Christmas. You. Christmas. Appreciate it. Appreciate
0: Thank you. Christmas. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, how does Trump has power? Will he be held accountable? Uh, she said that he has a, a legal battle. Doesn't matter. He's a white guy. He has been in power for so long, they let him skate or someone will someone will take the fall for him. And right now there are criminals referral for obstruction of an official proceeding. Conspiracy to fraud the US. Conspiracy to make false statements inciting or aiding an insurrection he said he can go on to fifth avenue shoot someone and get away with it he probably will because the system is set up so that people in power stay in power him jim jordan jim jordan failed upwards so crazy he was at ohio state watched a pedophile and he is a member of congress ever since but it hey, it is what it is. I think he's gonna get away with it. He's not he's gonna probably gonna run to president and lose, but he will run again and get off scot free. Alright. Um how he has power, I think it's people thinking of seeing themselves, white Americans seeing themselves as getting to that. Billionaire status they the, the Republicans sell you on that Yep, do it the way we do it And then you'll be there But they won't help you do it when you do it Still don't understand that But hey It is what it is This is the Common Sense Party Podcast Rate us, review us, give us 5 stars Give us 4 stars, give us 3 stars, give us 2 stars We're available on Pandora Amazon Music Google Spotify You can reach us at the common sense party at Gmail. Give us a line. Tell us how we're doing. Our next story is about Mr. Santos who lied to get into office. Yes, he lied to get into office. And because the margin is so thin, he will not face, probably won't even face any, any repercussions. That's what happens when people in power get in. Check it out.
3: Democratic lawmakers are calling for Congressman-elect George Santos to resign after he admitted to lying about his personal and professional background. The New York Republican came under fire recently after a New York Times article called into question claims he made during his campaign. Santos admitted to local conservative news outlets Monday that he lied about working for Wall Street firms Citibank and Goldman Sachs He also admitted that he never graduated from a four-year college. Despite previous claims, he received degrees from both Baruch and NYU.
13: I disappointed anyone by resume embellishment. I'm sorry. And I'm not going to make excuses for this, but a lot of people overstate in their resumes or um, twist a little bit or engrangiate themselves. I'm not saying I'm not guilty of that.
3: Well, CBS News political correspondent Caitlin Hewitt-Burns joins me now from the White House. Uh, Caitlin, how are lawmakers reacting to Santos's admission that he lied about his background?
17: Hey, Jared. Well, the silence from Republicans has been very telling, and we have not heard from Republican leadership about Santos, and especially since these admissions have come out. He essentially confessed to lying about most of his resume, but there are still questions remaining. There are questions about his finances, questions about how he was able to loan his campaign over $700,000 when he claimed... Poverty. Uh, we are starting to hear from some local Republicans, like the Republican chair of the Nassau County, uh, which is where Santos would represent. Um, and they seem pretty disappointed and said that this was just a blanket apology and they want to hear more from Santos. And they also said that uh, they will be holding him accountable, that he has a lot of work to do to prove himself to constituents. We have also heard from the Republican Jewish Coalition. This is a group, a very interesting group and Republican Party politics who um, have uh, been very upset about Santos's claims false claims they turn out of Jewish heritage and campaigning as a Jewish candidate even though he is Catholic um, they said that they are very uh, disappointed um, and they said he deceived us and misrepresented his heritage so some tough words. Coming from those Republicans, Democrats, meanwhile, have called on him to either resign or to face the ethics committee.
3: You know, speaking of that, this is something that I've been thinking about all morning, sort of as one does. What happens now? Is there a chance that Santos either resigns or is forced out of Congress or isn't a strong majority among Republicans?
17: Yeah, it's a great question, and Santos, in these interviews with conservative outlets, has been defiant, saying that this is not going to deter him from taking his oath of office next week. He is expected to be sworn in to Congress on January 3rd with everybody else, and he said he intends to do so, and he said that he will... Deliver on his campaign promises. So you have him not backing down in any way. But there are these questions about what Congress can do. Is there any disciplinary action they can take? Um, there's also, of course, the question of any legal exposure that might exist from these remaining questions. That remains to be seen. Right now, as it stands, we've talked about this before. Uh, Kevin McCarthy needs every last Republican to support him in his bid for speaker. So he has been silent on this, not commenting, um, and has, you know, is presumably relying on Santos to help him. Uh, Santos notably flipped a Democratic seat in 2022 in those midterms and helped Republicans gain that majority. It's a very slim one, uh, but he is going to be important to McCarthy's prospects as speaker.
3: I want to switch focus just a little bit to the White House there behind you. With one week left in 2022, how is the president preparing to start the next year and actually work with this next divided Congress?
17: Well, this is going to be a tall task for him because this is going to be something new. He has not uh, served as president in a divided Congress. Now, it's a very narrow Republican majority, and Democrats actually gained a seat in the Senate, but still have a narrow majority there. So most of his agenda items are likely to be blocked by House Republicans. In fact, they have made it kind of part of their campaign to stop uh, Biden's agenda. And they also are pledging to launch investigations into the Biden administration and into Biden's son, Hunter Biden. So those are the challenges for the president. He also is going to have some challenges in implementing a lot of the policies that his administration was able to pass through Congress um, in the last two years. So that is a, a task at hand. However, they do have the majority in the Senate, and that matters for things like judicial appointments and nominees. Um, he can much easier much more easily confirm his judicial appointments and can do so at a quicker pace with that slightly more robust majority, even if it's a slim one.
0: Yep, 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 yep. That's what they're going to do. He, yes, he lied to get into office, but guess what? He's using the Trump playbook. He lied and then he's going to stay two years and then they will go ahead and vote him out, I hope. I really hope that they vote him out, but most likely he probably failed up, failed up to, failed up to, um, to success, just like every other Republican, uh, on a side note, check this out. President
18: Biden, he's still here in Washington, D.C. Later uh, today, he's planning to head out on a family vacation to St. Croix in the Virgin Islands. This will mark the first time a sitting president has visited the U.S. Virgin Islands since President Clinton did so in 1997. This trip could be uh, decisive. Uh, He has said, the president has said, he'll announce whether or not he'll run for office, uh, run for the White House again uh, sometime in the new year. And this is an opportunity for him and his family to get together, he's news Alex for He's drawn the short straw. He's, uh, he's in Saint Croix there. It looks like very rough duty. He's following the president. One of the toughest assignments in the entire news division these days, actually, Alex, I covered the White House for a while, too. I got to go to Crawford, Texas uh, at Christmas time. So you definitely <laughs> have a better deal there. So let's talk about Biden, 2024. When he was asked about it, the White House said or the White House has said that Biden would talk about it with his family. So what should we expect? Are Is there an announcement? Well, how do you think this is going to go down?
13: So, Terry, we're expecting an announcement uh, sometime after the new year. That's the guidance that we got from White House Chief of Staff Ron Klain. Uh, but the vast majority of this this vacation, a lot, a large part of it at least, uh, is going to be dedicated to President Biden talking over a potential run in 2024 with his family and what that would look like. Uh, now, Ron Klain said that he expects the president to, uh, to make that announcement uh, during the new year, but he also said that he, he expects the decision will be that uh, President Biden does decide to run again.
18: And, and I, I just want to note uh, that while it is still very cold, uh, in most of East Coast and middle of the country, you're, you're standing there in 80-degree weather to cover the president, so not that I want to underline that. <laughs> but let's talk about, look, every president deserves a vacation. Somebody's got to cover him. Uh, and so what's on the president's agenda, actually, while he's there taking some R&R down there?
13: Well, Terry, first. I think you're trying to make a point about this a little bit but look i mean we know that this is supposed to be a time of of, of recharge for the president um but the other thing while there's not a lot scheduled uh concretely right now for him the other thing that we're we're monitoring is some sort of decision uh from the supreme court on title uh title 42. Now, look, the Biden administration uh, is hoping that the Supreme Court strikes down a bid by 19 states uh, to keep Title 42 in place. They say that, look, yes, Republicans have criticized it, saying that once it expires, we'll see a surge at the borders. And while they do anticipate a, an uptick in uh, migrants trying to cross the border, they'd also point out that we've had a year of record border crossings and apprehensions, and that was with Title 42 in place. So we're monitoring that. That could be something that we see President Biden speak on at some point, but right now uh, this is very much a a vacation.
18: Yeah, and and I I should say that that border issue, it's in crisis. The president never really goes on vacation. He is, however, there in St. Croix. Glad you're there with him, Alex. Send pretty picture postcards when you get a chance. Alex Boucher <laughs> in St. Croix. I got you. very much.
0: That dude sounds like a hater. Yes. Biden's going to be in St. Croix for festival time. So I guess that's why he went. But hey, it's his what it is. I'm glad he went to a great place. And then for our last story, check out what Texas did.
7: I Yeah, so today we're going to talk about Texas and a list, and it's going to be an unusual video that is going to end in a unique way. So about five or six days ago at Time of Filming, which is Monday night, I had a bunch of people send me information and links to other reporting about a report that suggested that the Attorney General's office in Texas had reached out to the basically the driver's license bureau there and tried to get the numbers of people who had changed their gender on their driver's license and said, Well, eventually we might need a list of who these people are. Now, there were more than 16,000 entries, so the information as far as anybody can tell, never actually changed hands because doing a manual check of why that information was changed would just be too exhausting. So it didn't go anywhere, but the request was apparently out there. Now, normally when I get something that is this wild, one of two things happens. I start to look into it, and I get the context, and I make a video providing that context. The other option is I start to look into it realize that there's absolutely nothing to it no big deal don't worry about it so I don't make a video. I'm making this one because I don't want anybody to think that's what's happening. The reason I haven't made a video about it is because I don't know anything. I can't find anything out. Um, I, I started looking into it but I can't get any I can't get anywhere I can't even get an off the record answer. But at the same time, I don't really have great sourcing in the attorney general's office in Texas or at the driver's license place. So it wasn't totally surprising that I couldn't get anywhere. The reason I'm making this video is because nobody else can get anywhere either. Washington Post, NBC, Texas Tribune. Nobody has an answer. So right now... What we know is that the Attorney General's office certainly appears to have requested a list of trans people in the state with no explanation as to why. Um, Them requesting it is concerning. Having absolutely no idea why they wanted it, that's alarming. Um, After this much time, with, with stories being published in the Washington Post, you would think the Attorney General's office would say something. But so far we have nothing. Um, generally speaking, when a group of authoritarians starts attempting to make lists of people that they have actively othered, it's not a good thing. This is a story that uh, shouldn't go away. The thing is, Anybody who's trying to look into this, nobody's going to get anywhere from now until New Year's with it. The, the story is effectively not going to go anywhere. Because basically with the holidays and places being shut down, and then the few days they're going to be open, they're going to be trying to catch up with like normal routine stuff, that there's no way that this is going to really get anywhere until after New Year's unless somebody has a a really good source of their own. So if you happen to have that, now might be the time to get to work. Um, This isn't a story that should be forgot, though. The Attorney General's office needs to explain why it was trying to gather this list, what this list is for, why they were trying to get this information to begin with what they planned to do with it once they had it, why they thought they might go from just needing the numbers to needing an actual list, Um, why they would want to verify documents, which was another part of one of the email exchanges. There's there's grounds to be concerned here, Uh, and I just don't want the people who sent me this to think it's one of those where I looked into it and there's nothing to it, so just don't worry about it. No, this doesn't need to be forgotten. I don't have the answer, but the answer needs to be found. Um, I'm hoping, and I'm fairly certain, that the Washington Post isn't going to let this go. Uh, I'm sure they understand that this is a uh, unique development that needs attention, even though we are going into the holiday season. Anyway, it's just a thought y'all
0: have a good day yep that's that's Bo from the fifth column but he's right how can they request a list of people who changed their gender and not explain why since when is the government surveilling people just because they changed their gender since when did we become a third country on that note this is the uh, Common Sense Party Podcast uh, Next week we will be Trying to figure out If the DOJ will Charge Trump The new Congress uh, Why Georgia is so damn crazy uh, Again We're on Pandora Sirius Spotify Wherever you get your podcasts besides Apple TV we're still working on that you can also donate and help the cause at Cash App you can hit us up at the common sense party at gmail.com drop us a note and with that we're out Did you